0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on your um, hopefully sanctified imagination. Okay? So I want you to open your imagination up for just a minute. And I want you to imagine that you love golf, does anybody in here actually love golf? We got a couple people that really like the game. Okay, uh, that, that you love golf, you're 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 a golf nut, you've you know you've 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 purchased the golf channel, you know, you've got instructional videos, you've ordered magazines, and one day you get a call on your phone and you don't recognize the number, so you let it go to voicemail. But when you listen to the message, it's Roy McElroy, who currently is the number one ranked golfer in the world. And uh, so you call Roy back, and Roy says, hey, I'm, I'm stopping by tomorrow. I've got a limo. I'm picking you up. I've arranged for you and I to play at Augusta National, and um, I'm going to just give you some pointers on your swing. We're just going to take a day and do that. Now, if you're an avid golfer, how many of you think that you'd take him up on that? You know, the opportunity to kind of learn from a top flight instructor, the world's kind of greatest master uh, at that. And some of you are saying, I can't. I, I can't even relate to this golf thing. Okay, so you're not a golfer. Maybe you love soccer. Maybe, maybe you're a, someone who just loves soccer. And imagine that Mia Hamm, who is the number one ranked all-time woman in the United States as a soccer player. Um, maybe she would ca- call you up and say, hey, I'm going to give you some tips. Or maybe you're not into sports at all. You, you love to cook. And, and Wolfgang Puck calls you up and says, hey, I'm dropping by tomorrow going to give you a few cooking tips there, there at your house, some secrets in the kitchen. Or imagine that those of you who just recently joined a gym, you know, it's January, people do that, um, you joined or rejoined your gym and, uh, you know, the, the, the Rock, Dwayne Johnson has agreed to be your workout partner for the entire year. Or better yet, ladies, he's agreed to be your husband's workout partner. He's going to whip that sucker into shape. you know, um, get, it, get, it, get him worked out. Just imagine whatever your deepest passion is, that you're offered this unbelievable deal by the expert in that, in that field who's actually going to come and, and teach you. It happened once. It, it did. It happened once. You know, in our journey through the greatest sermon ever, it's interesting now that we come to the greatest prayer ever. In that greatest sermon ever. Now, this prayer is also, uh, Jesus gives it to his disciples in Luke's gospel as well. I want to start there for a moment because something interesting happens in in the recording of that in Luke's gospel. They were given this chance. The disciples had been watching Jesus. They'd watched his life rhythm. They, they, they've watched him, he, he, the authority that, that he lived with. And then look at Luke chapter 11, verse, verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And we're not certain how many years they had been with Jesus, but some estimate around about two years or so. And they had watched him closely. They had seen the connection that he had with God was like no one else in, in, in their lives. They'd never seen anybody who prayed and got connected to God like that. I, I don't know if you have ever been with somebody who, who prayed with such, with, with such ease. And they just felt at home in the presence of God that it, it actually kind of challenged your heart. I know, I know when I was in college, my paternal grandfather died. And some of us grandchildren took turns rotating, spending time living with my grandmother. And um, one of the times I was there for, for a month, and one of the things that happened while I was there was she taught me to pray like nobody else had ever taught me to pray. Not because she sat me down and said, uh, they called me Joey, I was a junior. Joey, um, you know, listen to how, how to pray. She didn't do that, she just prayed. And she let me pray with her. And... She, there was an ease uh, of being with Jesus, a peace in her heart. She was just devoted to prayer. And it invited me into a journey uh, that forever changed my life, you know. Well, the disciples had been with Jesus, the greatest prayer ever. And I think the disciples, if, if you were to ask them, what's, what's Jesus' secret? What, what has enabled him to live this extraordinary life, to heal, to cast out demons, to be appropriate angry with, at the appropriate moment to the appropriate people? And to, how to love and welcome little children and senior adults and social outcasts, how to, you know, just confront political leaders and religious leaders of his day and do it with confidence and calm. I think if you ask the disciples to say one word, what is it that enables Jesus to live such a life? I think they would say prayer. Prayer. It was his connection to God. Nobody had ever prayed like Jesus. It marked his life and it marked the lives of those closest to him. We're told in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus says, baptism, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, this is Jesus, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well-pleased. I mean, just think about that for a moment. He's praying, and he has this incredible experience with, with God as Father. And then the Bible tells us immediately he was driven out into the wilderness for, for 40 days where he was alone with God and fasted and, and prayed and, and was tempted, too, by the enemy. But I want us to think uh, uh, just a moment about what prompted prayer in Jesus' life. Uh, another way to ask this is, when did Jesus pray? Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 15. It says, news about Jesus kept spreading. Large crowds came to listen to him teach and be healed of their diseases. But Jesus would often go to some place where he could be alone and pray. Now, this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And we see this. Jesus prayed when his schedule got demanding. Now, so often, I think for for us, I know sometimes for me, when my schedule gets demanding, what sometimes gets squeezed out is prayer. It just, it, it happens. In Luke chapter 6, we read these words. In these days, he went out to a mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer with God. Can you imagine that night? All night long, Jesus talking to his Father out there in a the mountain. It says, and when the day came, He called His disciples and He chose from them. Now, uh, estimates are there were, you know, over a hundred people who were His disciples following Him at at this point. It says, He called and chose from them twelve whom He named as apostles. This is where He he chose those twelve who would be with Him. Uh, This shows us this, that Jesus prayed before making big life decisions. Before he called the twelve to that he would invest his ministry in, now, can you imagine a life being lived where every major decision just got bathed in prayer in chapter fourteen of his gospel? Matthew records the murder of jesus's cousin john John the Baptist, and it all, he also records jesus' response in verse twelve it tells us that uh, Uh, The disciples of John carried his body away, and then they went and told Jesus. Verse 13 is Jesus' response to this. It says, now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us, but what do you imagine he was doing? I think he was communing with his father in prayer. I think he was grieving. And so, I, I believe we see Jesus prayed during his grief. Then we read in Luke 22, these are words spoken by Jesus himself of his own prayer life. He's speaking to the apostle Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Now, can you imagine what that would do if Jesus just came to you and said, called your first name twice and said, I have prayed for you. I I have prayed for you. Satan's after you, but I, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Think about this, friends. Jesus prayed when he worried about people he loved, when he had concerns for the people that he loved. He prayed further into Luke chapter 22. Again, this is Luke recording what's taking place on the night before Jesus would be arrested and crucified. Verse 39 and following, we read these words. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual. In other words, this was a rhythm for Jesus when he was in Jerusalem, uh, something that he would do was common practice. He went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, the disciples, pray that you will not give in to temptation. And he walked away about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and he prayed. And we see here Jesus praying in the face of his greatest, ultimate challenge. Now, from the beginning of his ministry through its entirety, his closest friends, his, his apprentices, his disciples had a front row seat to watch the greatest prayer ever Pray, commune with God. And they saw saw him filled with peace and wisdom and power and, and, and grace. And when Jesus prayed, they saw things happen. Stuff happened when Jesus prayed. One time we're told about in in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And the Bible tells us that while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. When was the last time that that happened to you? You're in prayer and you just light up like a light bulb. Has that ever happened to you? You know, just, just this incredible kind of imagery. And you know what? The disciples wanted to know God like that. And you know what else I think? I think you do too. And here's why. Because I don't think you'd show up Sunday after Sunday, week after week, to hear me drone on or somebody else stand up here and drone on if it wasn't in your heart to know and experience God in a more full and and real way. Now, What we're talking about today and starting to talk about for the next several weeks is right down at the heart of faith and and life in the kingdom. And it really gets at the deepest passion of anybody who's a follower of Jesus to know and experience God. In Luke chapter 11, we read a moment ago, it tells us that Jesus was in a certain place praying. His disciples were watching him. It doesn't tell us which one, but it tells us that one of them asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, let's, let's do it. Now, I don't think they realize that I believe this with my whole heart. Jesus set them up for that question. I, I just think that, you know, he, this, this was a moment that Jesus was ripe for, He was ready for, He was waiting for. He desired them to ask that question more than they desired to learn how to pray, because He did not want their prayer life to flounder Knowing he was going to turn the kingdom ministry over to him, to, to, to these men. Now here's the interesting thing. as much as Jesus longed for his disciples then, to walk with God in prayer, he longs for his disciples today, me and you, to know the Father that same way. It's one of his great desires is to teach each of us to pray. But here's the catch. Here's the big idea for the day, actually. It's got to be personal. You have to say, and one of your greatest requests of Jesus has to be, "Lord, teach me to pray." You got to want it. You got to desire this. And part of making that request will require that you will carve out some time to pray. Jesus is waiting on you. He's waiting on you to make that request of Him. He wants to. He wants to lead you and teach you. But you have to be willing to. Carve out some space, and and you have to ask. You see, when when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he wasn't wasn't just giving them words to recite, to just repeat over and over again. This was the the master of prayer, opening opening the door to life with, with God. And he gave his friends this prayer guide, if you would, that has been treasured by the church for 2,000-plus years. I mean, you think about this, how this prayer has been prayed by by people like Billy Graham and and Mother Teresa and John Wesley and Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. and St. Francis of Assisi and the Apostle Paul and the 12 disciples. This prayer has been centered in the church We've prayed it for thousands of years. And kind of beginning, launching this morning, we as, as God's people of this day are going to kind of enter Jesus' school of prayer for the next several weeks. Now to launch this, I want to ask us to pray this prayer together. Because if you know it, you know it begins with the phrase, Our Father. It is at times intended to be prayed corporately. But here's what I want to encourage us to do. I want us to pray it full-hearted, with, with full voice. Sometimes I've been in churches where there have been congregational readings together in prayer, and it sounds like a room full of Eeyores. You know, Our Father, who art in heaven. We're not going to read it that way, folks. We're going to read it as if Jesus is teaching us as we pray it, to pray it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand now. And the word, I know some of you are panicking, saying, I, I hope they use the translation I know. Or, I don't remember all the words. It's going to come on the screen. We're going to make it easy for you. But I do want you, though you're reading it, to think about the words. We're not going to run through it. We're going to go slowly through it. And we're not just going to recite it. We want to pray it from our hearts. So pray it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As you're being seated, would you tell the person next to you, you pray real good. Now, during the next several weeks, we are going to sit at the master's feet and walk through this prayer together. Because I think it can challenge each of us. I know as I've been preparing, it has re-challenged me. One of the things I want to do, some of you are visual learners. I want to give you a tool that I use that helps me. It's a tool I use to, if I'm discipling somebody, it's a tool you can use at, at Starbucks on a napkin to help somebody know how Jesus taught prayer. And it's just this little hexagon image. And if you need kind of a visual to help you think about organizing your prayer life, this is a great way to do it. Um, I'm going to post it on Realm later today, and then I'm going to ask Kim if she'll broadcast it out across all of our our social media points um, from River Bluff so that you'll have access to it. But this is a tool that can be be helpful to help you organize your prayer life around this great prayer that Jesus prayed. And Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. So, as you walk through it, when you say, Our Father, you'll just take a moment to, to quiet your heart and realize who you're talking to as you, you say, Hallowed be your name. You'll think deeply about whose name it is, and, and you'll praise Him, and you'll adore Him. And when you say, Your will be done, you'll, you'll stop and think about submitting to, to, to his, his will as, as your King. And Then uh, you get to our daily bread. Give us this and you'll pray for for your needs. And then right on through this prayer. And and let Jesus walk you around that. Now, customarily, what we just read in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, uh, gets called the Lord's Prayer. Um, You're going to hear me refer to it through this series uh, or this part of the series as the disciples' prayer. Because this was the prayer he taught his disciples to pray. So that's what you're going to hear me refer to it as. Now, in the time that's left, I want us to just touch on some basics that we see just in verse 9, just in the first few words that Jesus gives us from this great prayer. We'll, we'll dive in deeper um, in the days ahead, but here's a question I want to start with. Have you ever felt guilty about your prayer life? You ever felt like, I don't do it enough. I don't do it right. I don't light up like a light bulb when I pray. You know, have you ever just kind of felt maybe a little inadequate? Well, the truth is all of us have faced problems in our prayer life. And there are three big problems in just that first verse that Jesus addresses for us to help us as we as we pray, as we commune with God. So I want to I get started in, in chapter 6, verse 9 of Matthew. Jesus says, as you pray, say, our Father. And friends, this is one of the most important parts of the prayer. If you don't get this part right, the rest of it will not have a context of power and peace. You know, you, you got to start here. Now, one of the things that beginning with understanding the fullness of praying the words, Our Father, is it will help you overcome a problem. One of the problems that we have when we pray is we drift. Our minds drift. Psychologists sometimes call that mind drifting movement uh, a, a moment of mindlessness. And we're all sometimes affected by, by, by experiencing mindless moments. We just, we do. Uh, it's a problem we have from time to time. Let, let me, I, I want to give a demonstration of what it looks like. But I need all of you to fully participate in this. So I'm going to fire off just some rapid questions real quickly. And I want you to shout out the answer, okay? Uh, they're going to come quick. So you just got to just hang on and, and just answer the questions real quickly. You Ready? Okay, here we go. The tree that grows from an acorn is called an? The dark vapor that rises from fire is called? The sound a frog makes when he? And the, 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 the white of an egg is called the? Albumin is what the white of an egg is called. Mindless people. We, you know, we just, we, 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 we do that. We can just be given over to mindlessness. That was why when Jesus, even before he gave the disciples the prayer, uh, back in verse 7, he told them, don't pray like the pagans just reciting words. Man, you're not making any connection to God when you do that, just praying vain, repetitious words. It, it just, that becomes a monologue. You're no longer in a conversation with God. So at the very beginning of the prayer, Jesus said, start by saying, our Father, Realize that you're speaking to someone. You're having a conversation with someone. Jesus says, begin by saying, our Father. And friends, this was the most unique opening line for prayer ever. Nobody had ever dared pray to God as father until Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, we see people sometimes referencing, it didn't happen often, but sometimes people would reference him as, as father, but they did not pray to him as father. Not only did Jesus encourage that and teach that, but Jesus went as far as calling him Abba, which is a very intimate word. Probably our closest English word would, would be daddy. But even in his culture, adults would use the word, word Abba. And Jesus not only did that, but he invites us to that intimacy of approaching God as Abba Father. So I'd encourage us to do that. You know, I know, uh, and, and sometimes it still happens to me, that when I sit down to pray, that I get bombarded with thoughts, often thoughts like, I haven't been praying enough. Or I feel guilty about that prayerlessness. Or I'm not sure that what I'm about to ask God to do is going to happen. I'm not sure how to ask it the right way. You know, have I devoted enough time to this issue now? You know, those kinds of things. Friends, those are an attack from the enemy. That's what those are. And the intent is to keep you from praying. To keep you from thinking about your father. And, and the only thing you can do here... Is discipline yourself. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, Sometimes, friends, the only thing you have to do is you got to take those thoughts captive. Literally, you got to take them captive. You got to send them to a prison and leave them there. Okay? So when those thoughts come, you just tell, tell Satan, I'm locking those away because I'm going to focus on my Father, my Abba, my Father. And friends, when you say that word, speaking to God, when you say, Father, you know what's happened? You've captured the heart of God. You have his full attention. Baby, let me tell you something. When the door to my house opens and somebody, little feet come running in hollering, Papa, the world stops. That happens when you go to God in prayer and say, Father, Father. God, you, got, you have God's attention. That's why Jesus told us that, you know, and then, then you can move forward because once you're there, you, you don't have to worry or you're going to get your words right. God will, the Holy Spirit will help you. God's given you his spirit to help walk you through. If you need to confess, he'll, he'll tell you. If you need to ask for something, he'll, he'll tell you. He just wants you to come into his presence and see him as Father and the Master of Prayer. says that's how you start. Friends, our our first big problem has to do with the who we're talking to. And to overcome our who problem, we must enthusiastically call Him Father. Our hearts need to be filled with joy that we can pray to God as Father. We have this opportunity. Many of you know that I love the writings of Dallas Willard. One of the things Dr. Willard said uh, about Jesus and, and his approach to prayer is that Jesus' first objective is to bring apprentices to the point where they dearly love and constantly delight in that Heavenly Father and are quite certain that there is no catch, no limit to the goodness of his intentions or to his power to carry them out. I bet I've read that sentence a hundred times. Just a, a, a amazed at Jesus' designed for us, his apprentices, his disciples, is that we'll get to a place where we'll we'll just dearly love and constantly delight in God as our Father, knowing there's no catch, nothing like that, and there's no limit to his goodness, that he just wants to pour out his goodness. That's what it means when you and I say mindfully, Father, my Father, our Father. See, there's no limit to what he wants to pour out in your life and so Jesus says before you even get into the asking part start your prayer by enthusiastically filled with a heart of joy call him father and then Jesus' next phrase is a line about where our father who is in heaven O King James who art in heaven let me ask you a question how far away is heaven? Is it past the moon? Is it about as far away as Los Angeles? You know, how far away is heaven? See, part of our problem with praying to God as Father is we've got Him pegged as somewhere out there in distant space. And the moment we do that, that makes Him remote. You know, and and we'll express, I'll express that in an odd way. Some of you have heard me stand here on this stage before and say something like, God, as we come into your presence. You know what I think God says maybe under his breath when I say something like that? Dude, where do you think you've been? I mean, you've been in my presence the whole time. You just didn't know it. You just became aware of it. But we're always in his presence. And because we think that way sometimes, it causes us to feel separated from God, which describes why so many Christians feel like they're alone in, in what they're facing and what they're battling through. And see, Jesus said, Talk to your Father who is in heaven. Now, in, 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 verse, uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus told his disciples, one of the last things he said, was the last thing he said, before he left, he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, I am, I am with you. I remember hearing about a man who um, had a, uh, uh, he, he was afraid to fly. He had a phobia. And um, he was kind of in passing talking to his pastor about it one day. And, you know, his, his pastor said, hey, there." I know a good counselor who can help you with this. You can get some help with this. And let me share a passage uh, of Scripture with you. And he gave him, you know, Matthew 28:20 20, to to let him know that, you know, Jesus is always with you. And the man corrected him and said, no, the verse says, and lo, I am with you always. Even to, yeah, I know that's bad. It's not L-O-W. When, when it says, and lo, I am with you all that means everywhere. There's no limit to the witness of God with you. I'm with you always, everywhere, at all times. I need to get kind of uh, greeky geeky for a minute, okay? Just greeky geeky here for just a minute. Just just one word in in this prayer, our Father who is in heaven. The word for heaven there is the word the Greek word Uranos, which we get the planet Uranus from, um, but in in the original language, that word is in the plural form. And so, the way this actually best reads is our Father, the one in the heavens. And so, this is the plural form that's used here. And so, in the New Testament, when we think about the heavens, it's translated in different ways to mean things like sometimes it's talking about the atmosphere, the sky. Sometimes it's talking uh, about the, the air that we breathe, which is right up close around us. Sometimes, you know, we, we've used language, hey, it just appears out of thin air. Well, that, that has this idea of close proximity. And so when you're saying our Father, the one in the heavens, what you're really recognizing is that He's all around you. He, he's not like in a galaxy far, far away. Th- that's not your Father. He's present. He, he's right here w- with us. You're saying our Father who is all around us. And because because He's close like that, you're never alone. And because He's close like that, everything you're experiencing, He sees. Every sorrow, every tear you shed, He sees. He knows what's going on because He's right there. See, Jesus is trying to help us with our our prayer problem of of where. where. Where's God that I'm praying to? So this is what we need to do to overcome our wear rare, our rare problem. Jesus shows us we must excitedly comprehend his presence. We, we need to enthusiastically understand the who we're talking to. He's our father. But we also need to, with excitement, comprehend how close he is. I remember, I hate using this word, but it's just a truth, decades ago. Because it's, I'm at that age now where I can say that, you know. I remember decades ago, I was part of a little small group of youth pastors that we met. And, and we prayed together and we shared together and we, we kept each other accountable. And I remember sharing some frustrations with feeling like my prayer life was stagnated. And one of the brothers there shared something that one of his pastors had told him uh, to try. And so he said, Joe, why don't you try this tomorrow and just see what happens? He said, instead of doing prayer the way that you normally do, why don't you just go for a walk and invite Jesus to come with you? And what you would normally notice on a walk, talk to Jesus about and so, again, this is how long ago it was. If you know where Crowfield Plantation is in Goose Creek, this was before a lot of Crowfield was built, and they were just cutting roads in. This was back, back in the day when I used to run with Billy Rogers, do marathons. I'd go back there and train, and sometimes I'd just go for a walk back there. Well, th- that day I decided, okay, I'm going to walk, and I'm going to invite Jesus to pray. And so I'd just walk along, and a rabbit would run by. and said, Jesus, look at the rabbit. And, of course, Jesus saw the rabbit. I didn't have to point it out. He saw it before I did. You know, Jesus, look at the tree, look at the birds. And then I just started talking, you know, out loud about what was going on in my life, what I was struggling with. Friends, that changed my prayer life. It was just one of those moments in time that radically changed my prayer life because it helped me understand Jesus was present with me doing what I enjoyed doing. He was there with me, and I could talk to him. But somehow my, my prayer life had, had drifted to think he was, he was far away. And it just drew me, drew me back in. And I pray that you will do that. You know, today's a beautiful day. I know some of you are saying it's a little cold out there. But you bundle up. Go for a walk. It's beautiful. Crisp air. Breathe it in. And thank Jesus for it. Just talk to him uh, uh, about it. Just, just walk with him. And he, he wants to walk with you that way. Father, just what a wonderful God you are and such a beautiful day you've given. So, he's closer than the air I breathe. Jesus wants you and me to get this. He wants us excited about his presence. Third third problem we have in prayer that Jesus addresses here is the what issue. What what can I pray for? What What can I take to God? And I want to be real clear for just a quick second. You can take anything to God. Any concern you have, no matter how small you think it is or how silly you might think somebody else thinks it is, you you can take that to God in prayer. He he wants you to talk to Him about that. He wants you to pray uh, about everything because He's concerned uh, about everything. But there's something that I want us to notice specifically about what Jesus is instructing here because it is actually put in the form of a request the way that this is, is, is laid out. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Some translations actually translate it the, what I think of as the better way, may your name be hallowed. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be hallowed. Now, friends, in the Bible, a name uh, it's not just a label given to somebody. A, a, a name always is a reflection of that person, of their character, of their identity. And so Jesus is saying, hallow. It's not a word that we use so much these days, but it, it means to, to give full value to, to appropriately value it, to give, give something the honor that it deserves. And here Jesus, the master of prayer, is showing us that if we want to overcome our what problem, we, we have to. We must appropriately cherish the name of our father. We've got to appropriately cherish our father's name. Give it the right value. I remember hearing a story of this guy who walked into an antique shop who considered himself pretty sharp when it came to the value of things. And he walked into this antique shop and it was pretty cluttered and he didn't think he was going to find anything. But he's walking by and he sees this cat drinking milk out of a saucer. And it catches his eye and he notices the saucer. And it is from the Ming dynasty. And this guy thinks, oh my goodness, this is valuable. This guy doesn't have a clue. I'm I'm going to make a deal. And so he thinks for a minute, and so he goes to the, the owner of the shop, and he says, sir, I was noticing your cat. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to buy your cat. I, I'll give you $100 for your cat. And the guy says, $100? I mean, he was a stray. I'm just, you know, he says, no, I'll give you $100 for your cat. And the guy says, okay. And um, he says, and I'm going to need something, you know, to feed him out of. So, you know, I'll throw in 10 bucks for that bowl. And the, the store owner says, oh, no, I couldn't part with that. That saucer's from the Ming dynasty. But it's the darndest thing. Since I started putting milk in it, feeding the strays, I've sold about 17 cats for 100 bucks a pot. <laughs> See, when you properly place value on something, you understand its great worth, its, its, its value. And you, you, you'll cherish it properly in that way and that's what Jesus is saying we need to do with God we need to appropriately apply the value to God's name and this this is at the heart I believe this tore at the heart of Jesus to so often see his father's name blasphemed you know we we live in a day where God's name gets blasphemed it is profaned I think even among his own people, we, we just kind of subtly just toss it around millions of times a day all around the world every day. And Jesus says God's name needs a different place in our hearts and minds so that when we, when we come to him in prayer, we're hallowing his name. We're, and see, when we say that, what we're saying is, is God, may your, may your inexpressible goodness becomes so clear that you will regard it with unending affection and boundless love. That that, that That's just, your, your inexpressible goodness gets seen that way. We, I want to hallow your name. I want to hallow your name so that your, your Hesed love becomes, your faithfulness, your, your love becomes so clear in my life and those around me. That's what it means to 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 value God's name. How'd be your name? And friends, that's gotta start individually. It's gotta start in me. It's gotta start in you before it's going anywhere else in the world. So it, it has to start hallowed be your name in my life. And and friends, here's one of the interesting things. One of the great mysteries is God has allowed the holiness of his name on earth to be bound up in our character and conduct. You know that? God has allowed that to happen, that his name on earth and how it's hallowed is tied to our character and conduct as his followers. And so part of, part of what it needs to mean when I say how to be your name is, is to say, that means, God, I'm, I'm going to give up on sin. I'm going to turn away from sin. It should drive us to pause when we say how to be your name It should drive us to a moment of confession if there's sin active in our life. But see, the truth is there are so many other names that dominate our lives. A boss. A spouse. Our kids. Our grandkids. Or our other false gods. You know, wealth or health or 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 success. And I need to repent of hallowing those names above the name uh, of God. So I need to come to him as my father who's close and hallow his name. And and then not only pray that his name would be hallowed in my life and the way that I live it, but that his name would be hallowed by every creature on the earth, by every person on, on, on the planet. Could you imagine how different the world would be if every person hallowed the name of God, honored, that just imagine what kind of world that would be. And Jesus taught us that that needs to be an active part of our prayer life. That we'd be praying evangelistically. That we would want to see the expansion of the numbers of people on this planet who will hallow God's name. And so when somebody comes to know Jesus that way, and follows him, you know, publicly in baptism, like, like Colby did earlier today, to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want his name hallowed, and I, not just in my life, but, but in others' life. And so we pray for those who are far away from God, yet close to us, God, that your name would be hallowed in their life, that they would come to know your goodness and your greatness, and, 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 and fall in love with you, that we would pray that prayer, You know, maybe in order for God's name to truly be hallowed in your life, maybe it's going to mean that you got to get off the sidelines. Maybe you just show up to church and you've been showing up for a long time. But God's been calling you out off the sidelines to get into the game, to, to invest in a ministry somewhere. Maybe it's a ministry to little children so that they'll grow up knowing how to hallow God's name. Maybe he's calling you to be part of our our intercessory prayer ministry so that you hallow his name by interceding for other people. Maybe he's calling you to join him in a ministry to the poor in our partnership with Low Country Cares so that those in need could see God's name being hallowed. Maybe, and we're going to talk more about this next week, maybe he'll call you to adopt Or to support an expecting mom in an unexpected pregnancy. Hallowing his name towards those who are in need. And we've only gotten to the first sentence of this prayer. Just just the first sentence of this prayer. And we've seen Jesus go deeply into our problem with the who of prayer. It's our Father, and we need to enthusiastically call Him Father intimately, Abba Father, when we come to Him in prayer, the one that we deeply love, the one we can constantly delight in. And then we need to deal with the where. that He's he's in the heavens, and we need to excitedly comprehend that His presence is, is right with us, all around us, as close as the air we breathe. To overcome our what problem, what can we ask? We need to start with asking the first thing, the primary thing. God, may your name be hallowed in my life, in the way I live it. And then, God, may your name be hallowed in my church, in my home, in my neighborhood. God, may your name be hallowed in the lives of those who I live, learn, work, and play with. God, God, may your name be hallowed in all of creation, but God, let it start with me. Let it start here. Will you pray those prayers? Will you pray the dangerous prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray? And just this week, just, just this week, just start with that first line. Abba, Father, who is all around me, who is as close as the air I breathe, may your name be hallowed in the way that I live today. Just take that one line and walk through it over and over again this week. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you for being so very close, as close as the air that we now breathe. Lord, may we as your people, as your disciples, Jesus, may we hallow your name. We pray that you will show us how to do that this week in unique ways. Giving us opportunities to hallow your name with the way we live our lives. Draw us near to you, Father, our Abba. Knowing that we are able to come and call you by the name Father, not in our own name, but in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. And this is our prayer in his name. Amen.